why do you have us going through this Christmas story? Why are we going in such detail through this Christmas story? And, 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 and what he shared with me last night as to why we're going through such detail is because we need to know what the Word of God says. We need to know what the Word of God says about Christmas because we are deceived on so many different things. And uh, Barna, anybody ever heard of Barna, B-A-R-N-A? If you look him up, if you if you want to, I was going to read you a bunch of statistics. But a few years back, Barna did a study among evangelical Christians, and it was on how many. What is the do do evangelical Christians have a world a biblical worldview? In other words, do they view the world through the Bible, a biblical worldview? And he went through and found, man. I could give you all the statistics, but the point is, is that even among evangelicals in the church, people are pastors in churches are finding less value in the word of God, less value in, in, in even believing that God is almighty, believing in Jesus Christ, that he's the only way to salvation, believing that the word of God is our final authority. That number is going down. And again, I could bombard you with statistics, but I want to get to the word. And the reason I'm saying, you can look it up, just Google up Barna Christian Worldview Survey, and you would be amazed at how many, and it was like, how many of y'all believe the Bible is God's word? Yes, we believe it, but how many of y'all believe it should, it's actually true? No. How many, it's crazy when you, when you go back and you look at his survey of what people said, it doesn't even make sense. But the point is, is that people are getting less and less and less into God's word. And again, so, uh, Ben, we were in our meeting the other day and we were going back over the general premise of this church and that our two tenets are that God's word is our final authority and Christ is the only way to salvation. That's it, period. But that is not where evangelical Christianity is going right now. Go read those statistics that I'm not going to read to you right now because I'm going to get into the Word of God real soon. I promise, Scott. And, 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 and you'll see year by year by year, less people in the church are believing his word. And, and, and again, I could offer theories on all of this, but the fact is that's the fact. But I believe God's word is my final authority. And I believe Christ is my only way to salvation. And the word of God is how he reveals himself to me. And back in June 27th, 1988, when I surrendered my life to Christ, and I said, all right, I'm going to live according to your word. Man, I told you all before, the very first things I read were, this is not how it works. This is not what I was taught in my accounting degree. This is not what I have seen in street, it, you know, how to work in the street. This is not what I have learned in my life of how to succeed and how to accomplish things. But I promised I was going to try to do it your way, God. And I would give, I, I, I tried to do it his way, saying, this is never going to work. But guess what? Guess what, Mac? It worked. <laughs> it worked. Yeah, I, I was waiting for you to go, God. <laughs> you know, but, but yeah, it worked. And, 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 and for 30 years, however long 1988 was from now, I don't even know how long you have petitions told me out. But dude, he has never let me down. His word has never failed to come through. With all the confidence I have in this, in anything, man, I put it in his word. That's why we have got to know his word. And it's not an encyclopedia. It's not a manual. It is alive. He tells us it's alive. It's relevant. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. I have seen it come to life in my life and in y'all's life and other people's life over and over and over again. But it is going to challenge you. And you're going to constantly have to be making choices whether you're going to be obeying that or yourself.
It's always a conflict between those two. But when you follow his word, I promise you it works out. And so that's why it's important we, we even the Christmas story, if we don't talk about the Christmas story, man, you know where you're going to get it? You're going to get it from the chosen. I'm not bashing the chosen. I'm just saying they are not biblically, it's, it's not the Bible. <laughs> and, you're, and you agree with that on that. But it's a, it's a great show that puts it all together, kind of. Yeah, it's not, we're not, we're going to get it from Charlie Brown's Christmas. We're going to get it from some other place, and it's not going to be accurate. The Word of God is the Word of God is the Word of God, and there's nothing like the Word of God, and there's nothing to replace it. And again, like I told you a couple of weeks ago, I believe Satan has you guys scared of the Word of God. Not maybe this church, other churches, other believers, and other places. Now you guys, you guys open it up and believe it. You read it and like, whoa, yeah, look. No. That, that's it. You read it, man. You just read it. And, and it's a big porterhouse. Like I told you, God's going to cut off a little piece of whatever he wants you to digest that day. And he's going to give it to you. And you chew on whatever it is that he gives you. Whatever he gives you, that's what he wants you to apply. Now it becomes yours. Now you own that. And now that's how you mature as a believer is by reading the word of God, learning the word of God, and applying the word of God. It is timeless. I don't care what society says. I don't care what's popular in society. I don't care what's legal, what's not legal. The Word of God is the final authority. It's some, the souls of men and the Word of God are two things that last forever. That's why we're going through the Christmas story. And he had to remind me of that last night. I'm like, God, everybody knows the Christmas story. He says, no, they don't. And you all proved it by the first three questions I asked you, or four, <laughs> all of us. We kind of just assume things, and there's little nuggets, and because it's alive, God may want to take a nugget that you've heard a million times and make it come alive for you. So we started a couple of weeks ago, in the fullness of time, God sent his son, Christmas, the Christmas story. It's all about Jesus, and we, we started in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, and what it told us, what we went through for an hour and a half or whatever, was the fact that that since the beginning of time, before God created people, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit were together. Their plan was to create people, give them a choice so they would have a choice because the only way we can show them we love him is by making a choice. So he has to give us a choice. And when we make the wrong choice, we're no longer perfect. So he had to create a savior to be able to save us. And Christ was that savior from the very beginning of the plan. It wasn't like, oh no, Adam and Eve screwed up. We got to do something. <gasps> oh no, the world's messed up. We got to flood it and start. We got to do something. No, God had it as a plan from the very, very beginning that Christ would be the savior of the world. And finally, in the Roman Empire, the fullness of time, that means when God thought it was the perfect time to send a Messiah, he sent a Messiah. And that's what we've got to understand, that his timing's perfect. And that if he sent that because it was the best thing, it was what we needed. So when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those. And we'll just skip that. Luke, uh, keep going, JJ. Then we looked last week at Zechariah. They haven't heard from God. There's not been any direct revelation from God for 400 years. Went through the whole Old Testament of how that all came about. And, um, and, and bottom line, God said, I'm not going to speak again till I send a Messiah. I'm not speaking again until he comes. And all of a sudden, I don't know how much we have here. We probably don't have much of it at all because we're going into Mary. But let me tell you about Zechariah super quick again. You know Zechariah. He, him and his wife were very old. They were very devout. They were both of the priestly line. And he was in for his one, every two week, every, every, twice a year for a week at a time. The priests had to go and they had to serve in Jerusalem. 
in his time, he actually drew a pretty cool lot where he could actually go into the holy place. And right in front of the Holy of Holies is where the altar of incense was. And we went over that last week. And that represented the prayers of the people. And as he walked in to do this once-in-a-lifetime ministry, all of a sudden, uh, the angel of the Lord. Hey, what was his name again? Gabriel. He's the one that always talks. It'd be better than having Michael meeting you, right? Because Michael's the other one we know his name, and he's the one who's always warring, right? So Gabriel's there, man. And, and Gabriel, uh, you know, nobody has seen an angel. Nobody has seen anything supernatural. And, and so there's Zechariah. He sees this. And he's troubled, and God gives him the greatest news, says, you're going to have, you and your wife, who have been faithful to me, and the society says you've not been, not been faithful, you're going to have a baby, and this baby's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah, which means the Messiah is actually coming. In fact, there's going to be a six-month difference between two, but the Messiah is coming. It was great news. Awesome news. This kid's going to be great. He's going to do great things. He's going to be awesome. And your prayers have been answered. Don't you think that would be good news, Barb? Wouldn't you want, would you get out, be able to just tell everybody, woohoo, look what God did. Yes, this is what God. But instead, Zechariah blew a good time. We learned last week, what did he do? He said, how can I know this is going to happen? And Gabriel was like, dude, I was just with God Almighty, and he sent me here to give you this message. You want to know, like, you want to know how you can know? You don't believe me? You don't believe God's word? Guess what? You're going to be silent for the next nine months. And so what we really learned from that last week was that often if we don't believe God's promises, you know, God's promises are still going to, God's promises are still going to come through. They're still going to happen, but if we don't believe them, it robs us of our joy. He did not get to enjoy. He could have walked out of the temple and said, the Messiah is coming. I've got, I'm, I'm going to be having the forerunner of the Messiah. We're going to have a baby. He could have been blow, blowing it up, man, on the media there. But instead, he had to be silent because he didn't believe. And often again, if God's got a promise and he's fulfilling it, and you don't believe, you, you rob yourself of the joy of that. And then so we see something totally different with Mary. Mary, I want you to notice what Mary does. She doesn't, she doesn't have unbelief. She says, well, I, I know this is going to happen, but I'm just not real sure how it's going to happen. And as we go into the story, you'll see why that is. So here we are in verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. It says, in the sixth month. Uh, the sixth month of what? Help me out, guys. Sixth month of what? Uh, of of uh, Elizabeth's pregnancy with John the Baptist. Yeah. So John the Baptist is six months older than Jesus, all right? And so in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, here he is again, Gabriel, the one that always kind of gives all the good news and gets to be that angel. Uh, he was sent from God where he had just got sent to Zechariah. Same setup. But look at, he, he got a variety of jobs. How many of y'all get bored with your same job over and over again? You know, it's like, oh, I just got to do this. Or I was gonna... Dude, one day he's talking to uh, an old man, an old lady. You're going to have a baby. Now he's talking to a 12-year-old virgin, and you're going to have a baby. What a variety in his job. And again, you follow the Lord, you won't be bored. I used to tell my teenagers that when I was a youth pastor. You follow the Lord, you won't be bored. I guarantee you that. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. This would not have worked with any of the marketing companies of the day. 
Not at all. In fact, Jerusalem was the center of all of the religious activity. It was the center of Judaism. It was the center of everything. Man, you gotta like blow it up on the temple, man. Have 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 the billboards. Have the have a fireworks show. Have everything. If you're gonna uh, have a Messiah, he's got to come from here. Even though they knew Scripture said different. Galilee named Nazareth. Why would God do that? Galilee. If you've been, I've never been to Israel. Some of you probably have. Maybe you've seen the maps. But up in the north end, there's the Sea of Galilee. That's where most of his, his disciples are from, the fishermen. They were all up in that area, very fertile area, but it was mixed with a lot of Gentiles. They did a lot of business, and it wasn't as pure and holy as, as Jerusalem was. So you got the Sea of Galilee, then you got the Jordan River, then you have the Dead Sea. And just as a side note, we were talking Wednesday night in Bible study about the Dead Sea a little bit. Anybody know why it's the dead? Why it's dead? Why is it dead? Yeah, man, Saul, it's full of minerals. It's full of the very best of everything. It's full. Everything comes from, from the Sea of Galilee, man, down through the Jordan River. And then it goes down the Dead Sea. And where does it go from the Dead Sea? Nowhere. So it just gets the good junk and collects it. Aren't you glad that does not represent your Christianity? <laughs> you know, Phil, aren't you glad you don't just take it all in and you just collect it? Man. You just collect it. Yeah, no, you got to spread it out. You got you to have outlets for it. God feeds you. You take it in and you got to have outlets. But so there was the Dead Sea right there. But up in Galilee, oh my goodness, Galilee, that was, that was like Redneckville. Dude, that was like hick town. Galilee was not the place where, you know, you should be having a, a virgin to have the Messiah from. Man, I mean, you never know what kind of stuff she's been into. I'm just saying, it's like, dude, that's Galilee. And if Galilee wasn't bad enough, about 15 miles west was a town called Nazareth. You remember what Philip said when he found out Jesus from Nazareth? Yeah, what good can come? In fact, Nazareth was about 15 miles west. Nazareth didn't even, it wasn't even a city. It was just a collection of people. You know, and and in there they had a well, but it wasn't even very good. They had no major roads. They had nothing there. There was nothing. Why in the world would Jesus come from Nazareth? Why would God do that? Because if he could come from Nazareth, man, how many, how many of y'all came from someplace worse than Nazareth? Nazareth. <laughs> how many of y'all came from a Nazareth? I came from a Nazareth, right? Man, in other words, Jesus, God was always showing accessibility, the accessibility, all this social status that the world has to offer, all the money, all the prestige, all the power, all the everything that the world has to offer is nothing. In fact, when Jesus came, where did he have a big mansion? And if you have a big mansion, that's not a problem. You better be using it for God's glory. Whatever you do have, you use for God's glory because God's given it to you. But what did Jesus have when they told the disciples to follow me? He's like, y'all sure you want to come with me? Uh, you know, foxes, man, they got a hole and I, I, you, might have a, a, you might have a rock to lay your head on, Steve. So you were following to follow him. He came as the lowest class of human being because he was trying to say that's not what's that important. And again, I'm not saying if you're doing well, that's a bad thing at all. And I'm not saying we're all supposed to be, we're, we're all supposed to be where God puts us. And God puts people in all different socioeconomic statuses in life because there's people in each of these socioeconomic statuses that need to be reached for Christ. So the goal is not, that's what we do in foreign countries. That's, what we, that's how we go mess up Haiti in different places, try to make them American. 
instead of trying to learn from them. But man, maybe we got too much distracted in us, you know? But in this, Nazareth. So what was, what was Jesus' name again? Tell me how I just told you. What was the name? You guys are like tired today. Are y'all like just, are, are y'all as worn out as me from just sitting around doing nothing? Well, or the rain. Jesus' name was Jesus, all right? <laughs> all right, so let me do this again. What was Jesus' name? Y'all help me out. <laughs> Wake up today, right? His name was Jesus, all right? We're going to look at this a little bit more. Jesus was the Greek name for the Hebrew name Yeshua, all right? And it means Jesus saves, or Jehovah saves is what it means. Jehovah, God saves in all of this. And um, so he, his name was Jesus. But was he the only one in his town? Was he the only one in, the, in, in all of Israel named Jesus? No, dude, it was like Billy. It was a common name. It was like Fred or whatever. It was, you know, it was, a, it was like John. John, is, you know, there were a million Johns. Are you the only John that you know? No, dude, there's a million Johns. We, you know, yeah, there's one right behind you. It's like, so there were a ton of, of, of Jesuses. So, so it could be like, oh, what makes him special? You know what made him special? Well, a lot of things made him special we're going to look at, but God made him come from Nazareth. In Nazareth, they didn't even, dude, you know how low Lazarus was? Dude, they did not even have a dollar general, Scott. <laughs> they didn't have a dollar general, man. I'm just saying, they had nothing in Nazareth. So how many Jesuses were there in Nazareth, probably? None until he was there. And so he was always identified, Jesus of what? Nazareth. So, man, God, you know, God put me in a pond. Dude, man, be a big fish in a little pond. Shine. Wherever God's got you, shine. But again, that's how he was identified. If it was, oh, Jesus of Jerusalem, well, which one? Which one? Which one? No, Jesus of Nazareth. And so that's where God decided to put him. But I think one of the main reasons is he was showing us that the whole socioeconomic status, the whole status that everybody has means nothing. Because we are all level at the foot of the cross. Amen? <clears throat> we all get there the same way. Abby, is it going to be cool rubbing elbow? Who's your Bible hero? You got any Bible heroes, man? Okay, Jesus. Yeah, you're going to be right there rubbing. Man, Moses. Dude, you're going you're to be able to hang out and talk with Moses, Marley. And you know what? Moses is not going to be any more important than you are because how did Moses get saved? Because he believed God would send a Messiah, and you got saved by believing he is. You are saved, right? You believe he sent a Messiah? Amen. All right. I'm going to talk to you a little bit later about that, too. But, but yeah, I'm just saying, man, we all got there the same way. All right? So, anyways, so it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Oh, what good could come out of there? Well, there's Jesus of Nazareth in this. All right. Uh, to a virgin, all right, check this out, next verse, to a virgin, and we're going to see this word virgin a couple of times in here, uh, quite a few times. It says, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So first of all, it starts off as a virgin, all right? And then it says, betrothed to a man named Joseph. Now, the way marriages worked in that day was, all right, so your mom and dad go ahead and get together, and they set up they set up something. They like, oh, I like this person. I like, yeah, you know what? Their daughter and my son be good, you know? Would y'all like if your parents like, like hooked you up like with, with people? Like, no, it wasn't Marley and it wasn't Laura. You're like, no, I got somebody better than Marley for you that we picked out, all right? 
And I got so many better in lower, lower life for you that, that we picked out. That that's what they did. The parents arranged a marriage, all right? The parents came together, dowry, all this stuff. They, they made a good deal. And uh, I think in, in, in Emily's gallery, we got windows, right? No, I'm just saying no. <laughs> yes! <laughs> no, but anyways, uh, so, so again, the par- parents would kind of come together and make a contract. They would sign it. Okay, yeah, I'll have my daughter marry your son. Your son going to marry my daughter. Great, we're there. Then they would actually have the kids come together and meet with the whole family. A lot of pressure. Because, hey, you're all getting married. You might as well dig it right now. Dig the ride, all right? And so there would be the engagement. And then that engagement usually lasted. They didn't live together. They weren't together. They didn't hardly see each other because uh, she went back to her father's house. And where did the guy go? Do you all remember where the guy, or know where the guy went? Yeah, for about a year, he went away to prepare a place for them to be. He was preparing a place, and then at some point, he would then come back to get her. And it was a secret time. It was like, that's why they always had to be ready. Be ready. He's coming back at any time. Once he's got the place set, he comes back to get her. Does that sound familiar? Hey, who are we married to, y'all? Christ. We're the bride of Christ, right? And so when did you, back before the beginning of time, God the Father gave you as a misfit toy to Jesus. And Jesus, through what he did on the cross, was going to, was going to fix you and make you perfect. And he's by, through salvation and then sanctification and then glorification, he's going to give you back to the Father at some point. But at that point, they made a deal and you were given to Christ. Before the beginning of time, before you ever even could think of anything, you were given to Christ and you were his. Go read that in the book of John. He said, I didn't lose anybody God the Father gave me. And that's what he's doing. So that, they made the contract. When did you actually meet Jesus? When did you get engaged to Jesus? When did that happen? Ralph, when you got saved, right? When you gave your life to Christ. Dude, That now, you're, is there anything you could do to not be saved, Ralph? No. It, it's a contract. And that's what this, this betrothal was, a binding agreement. Man, it had to be either death or a horrible divorce or something to be able to break this up. Not, but fortunately with us in Christ, nothing can break that up. And then, what did Jesus say in John 14? He said, don't be troubled. He said, I'm going to what? Prepare a place for you. If it wasn't true, I wouldn't say that. And then what am I going to do? I'm going to come back to get you. And then we get to have the marriage. And guess what? How long did their marriage ceremonies last, y'all? Just take a guess on God's numbers. How many days, you think? Seven. Yes, it wasn't a trick question. Seven. Yeah. Seven days. I believe that's going to be the tribulation period on this earth, but it's going to be us having our wedding for seven years in heaven with Christ, man. What a beautiful picture. All of this. Cut the Bible anywhere it bleeds. But that's where we consummate that marriage. Now we get to live with him and experience him in full glory. Matthew, can you imagine? Man, if you saw even a glimpse of God's word, Moses. Moses said, I want to see your glory. He said, all right, get in the cave. Put his hand over and went on his backside. Moses came out with a sunburn, right? Man, can you imagine what would happen to you if you saw God's full glory right now? You would die. But one day, when we're married, when that marriage is consummated, <coughs> when that happens, we're going to be able to live in that full glory, and we will have it also. That's crazy. But here, this virgin, she was betrothed. So there was a contract, an unbreakable contract, to a man whose name was Joseph. Now, this virgin, all right, this means, all right, there are people that have looked at Isaiah 7, 14 and said, well, it means a young girl. You know what? When you try to tweak the Bible 
there's usually a reason why you try to tre- tweak the Bible because you don't want to believe it. You, you want to, you make it into some gray area. There's no gray area. Everybody knows the vir- what a virgin is. That's why that's translated that way. How many of you know what a virgin is? I'm not going to call on you, right? Yeah, because it's a woman that's never been with a man intimately. That's boom, period. And so when Joseph got into a contract, all right, <clears throat> let me ask a question. Um, I used to use this illustration when I was a youth pastor. Um, I, I would go to the kids and, and I, would, I would have a, a big pack of gum, all right? Lexi, I'd have a big pack of gum, man. I, I haven't picked on you in a long time, but I'm picking on, I had a, a big, big pack of gum and I would say, y'all want a piece of gum? And they'd be like, oh yeah. And I'd take five pieces and I'd stick in my mouth and I'd chew it up and then I'd go here. And they're like, what? W- would you like a five pieces of chewed up gum, Lexi? Or I would say, would you like to have this piece of gum that's never been chewed? And they're like, yes, that's the one. That's what a virgin is. A piece of gum ain't never been chewed. I'm just saying in that illustration. No, that, that, that's what Joseph got in the contract with, right? Did Joseph get in the contract with a prostitute? Did Joseph get in a contract with somebody who'd slept with a bunch of different guys so she'll have experience? Did, did he get in a contract? No, he got in a contract with a woman who had never been with a man. And so what's his job for the next year, y'all? His job for the next year is to make a home for them. What was her job as a virgin in this contract? <laughs> to not get pregnant, all right? Think about that. Her, she had one job. <laughs> Boy, did God try to mess that one up for her, right? We're going to see it, but one job, one job. Her whole job was to stay pure and wait for her husband to come get her and take her off to be married. That was her one job. By the way, if this is a picture of us with Christ, he got in a contract with us that's eternally binding. What is our one job? To stay pure, to not get impregnated by this world's garbage, by this world's goals, by this world's dreams, by this world's hope, but but to stay so entrenched in waiting for our our husband, the Christ to come and take us to heaven. And again, that doesn't make us of no value here. No, it makes us more valuable because now we're doing, we're, we're, we're working for the purpose in which God has created us for. But she had one job, not to get pregnant. That was it. So she was a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the what? What's the next word? Virgin's name. Dude, God puts it in once, it's true. Puts it in twice, he's trying to emphasize a point, all right? And we'll see it again. She was a virgin. Now you might be, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, the big deal about a virgin birth or virgin conception is crucial. Because if, as we've learned from Romans, Brandon, if her mom, her mom was a sinner, right? Her mom was Mary. She was not immaculate. No, she she was a sinner. And you can look at when she wrote her Magnificent and see that, that he's her savior. But but Mary was a human. Every human being, we learn from the book of Romans, comes into this world born into the family of Adam. And everybody in Adam, they are sinners. So what do they do? If they were cats, what would they do? Meow. If they were dogs, what would they do? But they're sinners, so they sin. That's why they sin, because you're born as a sinner. You inherited that nature from Adam. Steve, did you have to teach Chrissy how to sin? I know you've been a bad influence on her since the Jimmy Buffett concert, that one that you didn't really have tickets to, but you thought you did, but she married you anyway. That's a cool story, y'all. Talk to them one day. But 
Did you have to teach her how to sin, or does she know how on her own? Oh, wait, wait, wait. It's really the other way around. You've been teaching him how to do the sin, right? No, or is it in his nature? It's in his nature, man. You don't have to teach that little girl how to cheat, how to lie, how to be selfish, how to sin. No, she gets it from you guys, <laughs> and y'all got it from Adam. But you have no choice about being born into Adam's family, right? In Adam's family, the consequence of sin is death. Everybody dies. But what you do have a choice is whether you stay in that family or not. You can be born again now into God's family and get out of Adam's family as we had learned in Romans chapters 4, 5, and 6 and all of that. And so Mary was born into Adam's family. She's a sinner. And so if Joseph, was Joseph a sinner too? He was born in the Adam's family? Yes. So if Jesus was born of Joseph and Mary, or even as some have said, of Mary and, and a Roman soldier got her pregnant, or Joseph got her pregnant, if that was the case, Jesus would have been born into Adam's family. Jesus would have been a sinner, and he would have sinned because of his nature, and he never did. So he was born of a woman. Why, Marley? If you, God wanted you to save the barracudas, what would you have to become? A barracuda. Exactly. God wanted to save the human being, so Jesus had to become a what? A human being through Mary. So he needed, she, he needed to become a human so he could be our substitute. But on the other hand, he, the only one who could be perfect, because again, anyone born in Adam's family, we've learned in Romans, they are not perfect. But the only one is, who is perfect is who? Who's the only one that's perfect? All right, Mac, who's the only one that's perfect? God. Yes, God. There we go. Yeah, God. It's saying, but Jesus is God. That's going to be the point of all of this. So is the Holy Spirit. Yes, Jesus is God. So again, had to be a human because of Mary to be, to be able to be our substitute because we're human. And so he could then take all of Adam's children that, anyways, we've talked about that in Romans, but he could be our substitute. If he was a barracuda, could he be our substitute? No, he had to be human through Mary, but he could not have been perfect. He had to be perfect as God. God's the only one that's perfect. And so Jesus, from eternity past to as far as you can look forward, he is perfect because he is God. He's God. He came into this world as God, and they kind of put a baby skin on him. <laughs> they, put a, they put baby flesh on him. They, 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 they God the Father incarnated him. He, he, he wasn't created at the, at the birth of Christ. He was, he's been eternal, but he became man. But he, it was God that was encapsulated. It was God. You know, like peanut M&Ms, y'all. You know what I'm saying? This is a bad illustration, but, but dude... When you look at a peanut M&M, is Ray a peanut M&M? You do peanut M&Ms ever? No? Yeah? You know? Does it look like a peanut? No. The peanut, the treasure is hidden inside. There's some fake plastic candy coating on the outside you got to get through to get to the real deal. That was Christ. Christ is the peanut. The outside coating was the humanity of him. And every once in a while, whenever Christ did a miracle... It was God the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was a vehicle, the vessel that he went through from, the Holy, from God the Father. But he surrendered all his rights to do any godly stuff, any supernatural things to God the Father. And the Holy Spirit communicated and empowered him. And anytime he did a miracle, it pulled the candy coating back off the peanut M&M. And everybody saw the peanut like, oh, at the transfiguration. That was the big one. 
They saw God like, oh my goodness, let's just stay here. No, no, mission's not done. So he was like sewn up in flesh. He was 100% man, but he's 100% God, and he always was and always will be. And if the world can convince us as Christians that Jesus is not God, which they're trying, that's the only way they're going to have a one-world religion, because Jesus is God. And, if, and that, why, in fact, why did they murder Jesus? Anybody know, why did they murder him? He claimed to be God. Blasphemy! Blasphemy! What did he blaspheme? They, he told them he is God. He told them he's God over and over and over again. That's why they murdered him. And so again, if they, the world can convince us to not believe that Jesus is God, then we can get along with all the religions, and there can be a world religion, which there will be in the tribulation period. A one-world government, a one-world economy, and a one-world religion. And it's all coming together. That's why people are trying. That's why you go look at the Barna survey and you will see Christ being pulled out of Christianity. And that's why the Bible has to have less and less relevance. Because the less relevance it has, it's the one thing that keeps testifying to the fact that Jesus is God. And if you can kill the word of God and and shrink it down to of no importance and take away its infallibility, then we don't need that. That's not what we, no, no, no. And, and now it all comes down to feelings or what I feel like is going to happen, you know? So he was born to a, uh, so the angel Gabriel came to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, and he was the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Again, the virgin birth, he had to be born of a virgin because he had to be God. So he would not sin. So he could raise himself from the dead. Brad, you die. You have the power. What's going to happen to you when you die, bro? Uh, yeah, dude, can you raise yourself from the dead? No. Could Lacey raise you from the dead? No. Lexi, I mean, I'm sorry. I call you Lacey all the time. Lexi, you know? No. The only one who can raise you from the dead is God Almighty. And he did it for himself. He had to do that and to show us that he could do that for us. And that's what it's all about. The virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Um, and David, he was from the house of David because God had told David back in the day, he said, your offspring is going to be the Messiah. Your offspring is going to create a kingdom that will never end. Are we in a kingdom that will never end? Not yet. Not yet. We've got the, we, 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 we have eternal life, but no, he's talking about a physical king. You'll see up here in a minute. Um, but David, he's going to create a kingdom, and, and it's going to be through the Jews, a kingdom that will never end. So look at this next verse. And he came to her and said, so this is what he came, okay? So now all of a sudden, there's an angel. What did Zechariah do when he saw the angel? What does everybody do on count of three? One, two, three. Yes, thank you. And, and with more enthusiasm this time, one, two, three, to wake person up next to you. Ah, right? Yeah. And why do people freak out when they see an angel again? We talked about this a little bit last week, but you might not have been here. And I need the reminder, but people freak out when they see an angel because an angel is pure. An angel is holy. An angel is perfect. It was a created being of God. They're perfect. They're, they're, they've got God's glory in them, man. And when you see perfection, when you see perfection compared to you, it shows you how far you've fallen. It shows you how dirty you are when you see something that's really clean. You know? 
and I could come, try to come up with some illustration that wouldn't justify, but you understand what I'm saying is somebody coming straight from heaven who is an angel who's perfect and clean and holy and godly and they, they don't sin. They, they don't ever need to be redeemed like we did. They're perfect. And you see somebody that is that godlike and now you see you. Hey, what happens when we compare all of us? We compare our she, us, ourselves to the sheep, right? We're always looking at sheep. Oh, well, man, look at Bob. Okay, well, I'm, you know what? If Bob gets in, I'm getting in, bro. <laughs> you know? We ever do that, that comparison thing? Okay, well, you know what? Nobody's perfect, right, Donna? Nobody's perfect. So you know what? That justifies me not being perfect. And what? We compare ourselves to the sheep. But we have to compare ourselves to the shepherd, to God Almighty. And when somebody sees somebody who has just come from God Almighty, who is pure and holy, and it's like, it's, it's a pretty eye-opening experience. In fact, Isaiah, when Isaiah saw God come in all his holiness, Isaiah was getting ready, you know, he thought he was pretty cool and everything. And God said, you're going to speak on me. He's like, no, no, no. I mean, I can't. Anybody who's met God, anybody who's met an angel, they see what really what perfection is. And we're not even close. Trent, you ever look in the mirror and just say, I ain't even close. <laughs> I, I did that this morning, man. I'm just saying. But God is God. And one day, that's what makes it so special, Matthew, that one day we're going to be able to live in that perfection, in that glory, because we're going to have it too. Amen. Ben, how, how far does Kelly have to go, man? No, I'm just not, not as like, good answer, man. There you go. See, I did that on purpose so some of you younger men could, could learn from him. And, you know, or some of you older men that aren't as wise could learn. All right, I'm just saying. Hey, Skylar, so how far does Emily have to go to, for perfection? There you go. All right. All right. So he came to her and he said, okay, so remember with Zachariah, everybody when I saw an angel? So he walks in, and this is a pretty friendly encounter, actually. In fact, when it says greetings, it was more like, hey, <laughs> hey, Barb, <laughs> don't be afraid. I'm an angel. Don't, you know, you're like, and Mary's kind of like, so he comes in. He's like, hi. That's really what greetings is, is hi. And Mary's kind of like, hmm. I, put it this way. You know what? I was asking God to show me kind of what that was like. Can you imagine, like, if you, like, walk into your house and there's an alien? <laughs> Could you imagine if there was an alien? I don't, I'm not saying there's aliens or any of that, but could you imagine like an alien from another planet? First of all, from all the cartoon theology I have, they're going to shoot me with a laser gun and then, a, you know, abduct me up to there and I'm going to be a slave on their planet, whatever. But, but I don't know. I walk into my house, there's, a, there's an alien. And I'm like, and it goes, hello, <laughs> I'm here for peace. <laughs> You're like, how many of y'all are buying that at that point? You're like, oh, cool, dude, hey, you know. So, again, this is God Almighty, but it's just as foreign. And he came to her and said, greetings, hey, oh, favored one, the Lord's with you. So let's go back to the alien again. I'm not saying God's alien, but, dude, you walk in your house, there's an alien there, and obviously they could do whatever. You walk in, they're like, hey, hey, you know what? You're you're favored. We got good plans for you, man. How many of y'all would like to have an alien tell you they got good plans for you? <laughs> that could be anything from the crock pot to the what I'm just saying. I don't know. But, oh, favored one, you know, I got good plans for you. But then he says, the Lord's with you. Hey, in other words, if he's not with you, he's what? 
<coughs> Which would you rather hear? The Lord is with you or the Lord is against you, Gladys? Yeah, hey, got good plans. Oh, by the way, the Lord's against you. What? No, the Lord's with you. So again, if it's an alien, how many of y'all are feeling like, okay, I am totally relieved. Erica, are you totally relieved at this point? Oh, alien, they don't have any harm, no. But once she knows it's God, she was a God-fearing woman. She knew scriptures at 12, 13 years old. So he came to her, and I want you to see, he kind of came non-intrusive and said, hey, you're favored. God is with you. This is a good encounter right here, all right? But she was greatly troubled the same way Erica would be if she walked in her house and there's an alien in her bedroom, right? All right? Because it's something supernatural. She was greatly troubled as saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. It was supernatural. We've never seen anything like this before. So she's trying to figure it out. How many of you type A people be trying to figure this out? How many type Z people would be just like, okay, <laughs> like, that's me. Either. What's going on? But she was greatly troubled saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, what, what do angels always say, y'all? <laughs> After they have just scared the mess out of you, they're like, oh, don't be afraid. <laughs> it's like, I still think she was afraid in that. He said, don't be afraid, Mary. And look why. You have found favor with God. Would that make you feel better? Would that make you less fearful of God if you knew you found favor with him? Hey, wouldn't that be cool, Michelle, if we actually found favor with God? You think we wouldn't have to be afraid of him, right? What do we always say on Monday night? I always say, wouldn't that be cool? And then, and then Pam usually says, we do, we do have that. Yes, anyways, so next time, watch this. Hey, Michelle, wouldn't it be cool if we had favor with God? We do, yes, we do. That's what took her fear away. You shouldn't be afraid of God. You found favor with him if you're his child. You walk with him. He knows, he knows what you're going to end up, and you're going to end up just like him. That's why he keeps coming in your life. That's why he's an integral part of your life. He's an intimate part of your life that wants to make you more and more like him. So the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor in, with, with God. And behold, now here comes the tough part. Behold, you will conceive in your womb. <laughs> I like how he's specific there. You're going to conceive in your foot. No, you're going to say, no, you're going to conceive in your womb. This is going to be a natural thing, but it ain't going to be anything natural. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name. Hey, what's Jesus' name, y'all? There you go. Y'all are fast learners, man. Uh, yeah. But the way he presented this to her, because of her, her, her answers later, we know it was like, hey, so we don't know when she got pregnant. She could have got pregnant then. She could have got pregnant the minute the angel left. She could have got pregnant the next day. So we know she got pregnant pretty quick, all right? But we don't know when that actually happened. But the way the angel presents this to her is, you know, this is going to happen before you're ever with any kind of man. This is going to happen like almost instantly. You right now are going to be pregnant. And so as a 12, 13-year-old girl, she's betrothed. And Emily, what's her only job? What's her only job? Help Emily out, y'all. To be pure, to not get pregnant. She got that lights on nobody. That's why I picked on you, man. I've seen that look before from you as my daughter. No. <laughs> All right. 
So again, the angel presents this to her. You will, you will conceive almost instantly. You will conceive like in the next few minutes. You'll conceive within an hour. You'll conceive, you know, it's going to happen here pretty soon. You, that's why her confusion was there. You'll conceive in your womb. It's not like down the line in the future after you get married for Joseph. And after that, no, this is going to happen pretty immediately. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. That's pretty specific. He, oh, and look at this. So this is who Jesus is, y'all. This is who Jesus is. He will be great. Hey, who's the only one that's great? God. Yeah. Mac, who's the only one that's great? God. Yeah. So Jesus will be great. Jesus already is great because he is who? He's God. Can you, can you even fathom that? That God Almighty is in a package of flesh? He's in the form of a baby? And again, it's not like Mary's going to have to protect him or anything. God's got, God the Father's got that all handled because there's a plan in all of this. But he will be great. Hey, is Jesus great? Anybody, who thinks Jesus is great? Yeah, Abby, why do you think he's great? Because he's perfect and he loves you. That makes him pretty great, right? And he loves you perfectly. He can't love you anymore and he can't love you any less. Jesus is great. What do you think, Parrish? Is Jesus great? Yeah, why is Jesus great? Yeah, he's the son of God. Yeah, he's, he is God, and God is great. And so, yeah, you think about it, he's great. Did that prophecy fall? Yes, he, and it's not saying he's going to be great. He already is great. He's great from eternity past. He will be great, this, this baby you're going to have. He will be called, and it's not that he's going to become. He's going to be called because he already is he, the son of the Most High. And in their culture, they understood that already to be the, the son of was the equal at equality equality and the same attributes everything we lose this in our culture here but this was everybody in that culture knew that when you said the son of the most high he was god and by the way most high that's el elyon and it's it's a word they used a lot for eternity about uh you know uh being able to do anything but it, i like that the most high so is there anybody higher than him how high is he, y'all? The most high. If he's the most, then everybody's under him. And so he's the most high. I like that. He's, that's why he's great, because he loves us. You know? He's the Lord God will give... Uh, he's the son of the most high, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. We talked about why Joseph had to be from David. So the idea was Joseph was Joseph his dad. No, legally he was his dad. So legally he had the legal, uh, if you're going to become a king, you have to have the lineage. And so he had the legal lineage through Joseph, which was through adoption or through basically legal in, but he had the blood contact to David through his mother because his mother was from Joseph, was from David. So he was connected to David and therefore qualified. He was connected through his mom, through blood, and through Joseph, through the legal world, so he could qualify by their standards to be the king of the Jews, to basically take over this throne of David that God promised David would happen. And he gives us a little more. He says he will reign over the house of Jacob, that's Israel, and his kingdom uh, forever. Okay, look at this again. He will reign over the house of Jacob for how long? Yeah, so is God done with Israel? No. Has forever happened yet? No. And, and I'll tell you this, this is how theologians kind of mess this up. All right? 
because you'll hear people say, well, the church replaced Israel. You have to stretch the Bible pretty hard to make that happen. But they had to because back 100, 200 years ago, did it look like Israel was ever going to be a nation again? I mean, a couple hundred years ago, 100 years ago or so, it looked like Israel was gone. Nobody thought Israel would be a nation, right? Israel was all over the place. It was scattered. There was no hope for it. That's why everybody freaked out, including the theologians, when Israel became a nation again. Because the theologians from a couple hundred years ago to 100 years ago, they had to figure out how the Bible fit with Israel not being in existence. And some of the guys are the guys that you and I like. You've got to take that into consideration when you read their stuff. And so when Israel became a nation, it's like, oh, wait a minute. We kind of were counting on Israel not being a nation. And so, again, now they had to relook at their theology. And Israel is a nation, and God is not done with Israel. And Israel may be responsible for ushering in the tribulation period, the one world religion, the one world economy, the one world everything, you know? They may be the ones responsible. But what we do know is in this tribulation period, that when we go to heaven, we're in our wedding. The first three and a half years, they're going to be pretty cool. And they're going to suck up to the Antichrist thinking he is the Christ. And at some point in the halfway mark, he's going to do something to prove to him he's not. And it's going to be a horrible time period. That's where God tells Israel, man, if, if one of you's on the roof, one of you, just go. Man, you better hope this doesn't happen during winter. Man, if I didn't shorten it, nobody would it. Just get out of Dodge. And they're supposed to all go to Petra. You can read all about this stuff. It's in Scripture. It's in the Bible. And, and that's what's going to happen. It's going to be so horrible for them that then they will recognize their true Messiah when their true Messiah does come. Kind of like it had to get horrible. How many of y'all did it have to get horrible for you before you gave your life to Christ? Yeah. You had to give up that I cannot be my own boss. I have nothing. I can't be my own boss. I, I, and, and I, it's yours. That's what the tribulation period is for the Jews. So he's not done with them yet because he says he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. We're not in there yet. So going further, and Mary said to the angel, here it was, this was not Zechariah, where Zechariah said, how do I know what you're telling me is the truth? <laughs> how do I know? Well, I just came from God Almighty and I've... No, that's not, he's not in the same boat there. Look what she says. She says, how is this going to actually happen since I'm a virgin? And the only way, let me ask you a question. If you were to explain birds and bees, do they still talk about that? Or now are there bees and bees and birds and birds? I don't know what we got. But they're still just birds. And, I mean, y'all remember the birds and bees? That was like kind of a lame way parents tried to explain it without really using technical terms and stuff. But I'm just saying, it's like, what does it take to have a baby? Marley, what does it take to have a baby? And don't go into any detail. I'm just saying. Two guys have a baby. Two girls have a baby. So what's it take? A guy and a girl, right, okay, good. I'm glad your mom had that talk with you. All right, so, you know, you're 16 now, boy. <laughs> All right, but, <coughs> so Mary, at 12 or 13, Mary's there, and, and Mary, you know, she, you're going to be pregnant, right, right, pretty soon here. You're going to, it's going to happen. All right, I've not been with a guy, and that's the only way I know that there can be pregnancy is with a guy and a girl. That's the only way I know. You know, so how is this going to be since I'm a virgin? I'm not doubting you. I just don't get it. How many of y'all would be in Mary's shoes? <laughs> You're going to be pregnant, like, probably when I leave. <laughs> and how is this going to happen? I don't. I'm not saying it's not like Zachariah did. Zachariah proved it to me, so I'll know. And, and, and he missed it. 
she gets to enjoy this, man. How can this be since I'm a virgin? Just give me, give me, give me some details, right? And then sometimes the details aren't all inclusive, but the angel answered her and he said, the Holy Spirit. Could have stopped right there, the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit created? Can the Holy Spirit create anything? What does the Holy Spirit create? Yeah, from the very beginning, the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the earth, man. Uh, the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have been, been part of every bit of creation that there was. So the Holy Spirit, okay, cool. <laughs> Holy Spirit's going to do it. And really should just stop right there because the rest doesn't make a lot of sense to her necessarily. The whole God's going to do it. That's all you got to know. And Kelly, like we talked about last week, uh, when we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, if Ben were going to take you on this wonderful adventure, like through all kinds of cool things or whatever, you would not have to know the details as long as you believed he was what? Good. As long as he was good. As long as what's going on is good, and as long as we know that God is great, God is good, we don't really have to know the details. Could have ended right here with Holy Spirit. Look at this. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, okay? Um, it's going to be in your presence, and the power, look at this, the power of who? How high? The most high. So you think there's enough power to make this, make this happen? How? You think there's enough power there? You think we need to get more power? No, the Most High is going to come. And look at this. It says, the Most High will overshadow you. This, is, this word overshadow, it talks about influencing, encompassing, like a cloud. It was used in the Transfiguration story. Um, and it, it, it's, it's used here. It, it means to influence, to have enough power to influence. So the Holy Spirit is going to come. And it's not through some sexual union. It's, it's a thing where God just, oh, just creates it in her womb. So the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, so therefore, the child to be born will be called what? Yeah, yeah, because he comes from what spirit? Yeah, yeah, came from the Mac spirit, it'll be Mac, <laughs> you know? Came from the Pickleball Ralph spirit, it'd be Pickleball Ralph, right? I'm just saying... It came from the Holy Spirit. He came from the Holy Spirit, so he's going to be holy, and he always has been holy. What does holy mean? What does holy mean, Matthew? Separate, unlike anybody, totally better, separate, different, not even to be confused with anybody else. That's how holy, how separate, how, and that's why, again, why people freak out when they see an angel, because they're holy. <gasps> We're pretty good when we compare ourselves to each other. It's like, ooh, your deodorant doesn't work any better than mine. <laughs> We're good. You know, but whoa. You see someone holy. It freaks you out. He will be holy. He is holy. And that's who God is. That's who Christ is. So anybody that ever says, oh, it doesn't say in the Bible Jesus is God. They did not read the word of God. It says it everywhere. The angel answer said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you and influence you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the what? The son of God. Yeah. You don't want to believe Jesus is God. You got some other issues <laughs> that you need, uh, that are causing you to take that belief stance. And the fact is, is you don't have saving faith if you don't believe he is God. Isn't that what John said later in his little books? He said, 
That's where we break fellowship. If someone says that Jesus is not God, they're not saved. It's just as simple as that. It took God to save. Brandon, did you have to have God save you? Was there anybody else that could save you? No, dude, you were a hard case, dude. It took a God. And how high did he have to be? The most high. And that's true of every one of us. We needed the most high God to save every one of us. So, yeah, he will be called the son of God. And, and you know why if someone would deny that? It's because they don't want to be accountable to him. If you can create a God that's equal to you or a God, whatever you want to design as a God, then you're accountable to that God that you've created. You're not accountable to this God. I saw a quote recently, uh, because I've talked about this a lot. There's a lot of pastors in this new theology that's going around right now where pastors don't believe there's hell. And it was a pastor who said, he said, you know, you're coming to me and saying, oh, well, my God is love, and my God's not going to send you to hell. And he said, you know what, you're right, because your God doesn't exist. <laughs> That's why your God doesn't, can't send you to hell. Our God rescued us from hell. So behold, your relative Elizabeth, look at this, he, he, she didn't ask for a sign, but he gets a sign. Behold, your relative Elizabeth, we're almost done here, in her old age has also conceived a son. <laughs> you imagine Mary? I mean, dude, she had a heart attack, right? How many of y'all would have had a heart attack by now? First of all, you're a virgin, you're pregnant, you know, then now you hear your old cousin or whatever, she's pregnant. So behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month. That's how we know he's six months older than her, than Jesus with her who was called barren. And that's what we studied last week was this. You know, so he didn't, she didn't ask for a sign, but she got one. And God just kind of corroborated that. Often, you know, the world, we say, God, prove it to me and I'll believe you. God says, no, believe in me and then I'll prove it to you. So here's the verse. For nothing will be impossible for God. Is that just for, is that, is that just for, I'm looking at you, Chris. No, no you guys look at Steve. Is that just for Mary and Elizabeth? Is it for you, too, that nothing is impossible for God? Hey, check this out. So your problem, you got, you got problems? You got problems? Are you each other's problem? No, I'm just like, no. Y'all got problems, right? How many of y'all got problems? It looks see your hand, you got problems. Right now, you're like, yeah, my butt's asleep. You've been preaching so long. No, but it's like, you can get up at any time and go do what you need to, but, but we got problems, right? So let me ask you a question. It says, nothing's impossible for God. And he's talking about, a 12-year-old virgin getting pregnant and probably a 90-year-old lady getting pregnant. How many of y'all, do your, Erica, do your problems fall between those two things? <laughs> How many of y'all, your problems fall between a 12-year-old getting virgin getting pregnant and a 90-year-old something woman getting pregnant? If your problems fall between those, I think God's got you covered, right? And that's the encouragement here. <clears throat> For nothing will be impossible with God. It's not impossible. But what do we do often when it starts looking impossible, And It starts looking bad, and it doesn't look like God's going to show up. It doesn't look like he's going to do anything. So what do we do? Huh? Hell, yeah, that worked pretty good for Abraham and Sarah, dude. They created the whole Arab nation, which Israel's glad for right now. And I'm saying that sarcastically. Yeah, just wait. Wait on God. If it's not happening... Either it doesn't need to happen right now, it's not ready for you, or you're not ready for it. God is a big enough God to do anything instantly if he chooses to. If he doesn't choose to do it, it doesn't need to be done. 
contrary to your feelings, your thoughts, and your desires. And we do nothing but mess things up by helping them out. So again, nothing's impossible for God. You must be in a relationship, and there are things we're supposed to do. You do what he wants you to do, and it all works out. Nothing will be impossible with God. So Mary said, and this is the response I think that every believer should have to every promise of God. Here's our response. God says, how? You're going to be pregnant. <laughs> What's your response? Well, you're laughing. You're like, oh, he's going to now know what it's like. <laughs> All right. But, you know, I'm not saying God's going to do that. But if God wants to make you pregnant, what's your response? Okay, let's, let's go. You know, would you be thinking, hmm, is that biblical? Is that like, now what's the world going to say? Am I going to get out of church? Am I, you know, is my wife going to be embarrassed? Is this going to cause me great legal problems and so on? By the way, Mary getting pregnant, 12, 13 year old, that was normal, whatever, but in marriage, but in this, look at her response. Mary said, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. But answer a few questions. How do I tell Joseph? <laughs> How do I tell my parents? How, you know, God, do you realize that the penalty for this is stoning and death? You know, God, how many of y'all think Mary had some questions? How many of y'all would have some questions if you were Mary? Yeah, but do you see those questions there? No, you know what you see right here? You see a surrender. And she's counting on the fact that God has got it all worked out. She's counting on the surrender. When God calls you to do something, is he asking you and your finite brain to work it all out first? No, he's just asking you to take the next step of what he wants you to do. So here, Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Just go for it, God. Just like, just like how, man. God wants to make him pregnant. He said, let's see, let's go. No questions on what's going on. No questions on how the world, no questions on what are you going to do with the media. And, you know, she's going to have to quit her job so she can be her PR representative. And, you know, all the, no, no questions on all the details. How many of y'all got slowed down on the details? Instead of just saying, Lord, come on. And again, I don't think he's going to make you pray. I don't have the gift of prophecy, my brother. That's good for you. <laughs> but look at that. Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. In fact, honestly, it's pretty cool to watch God unfold things when we don't understand it. It's like opening up really cool Christmas presents that you didn't know what they were. But you've got to believe he's good. You've got to believe that he loves you and you can trust him. And look what happens. The angel departed from her. I don't know if she got pregnant right then. I don't know if she got pregnant during that encounter. I don't know when. We don't know. But we know she got pregnant pretty quick. And again, her response is the response that we should have with every single situation that God presents us with. I'm your servant. Whatever you want, let's, let's go. And let him work out the details. One step at a time. What do you want me to do now, God? And do it. What do you want me to do now, God? And do it. You don't need the five-year plan. You just need the next step plan. If you need more, he'll give it to you. But just take the next step plan. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I pray if there's someone who's never given their life to Christ and thinking that this faith stuff's pretty crazy of just taking the next step. Um, Father, I believe you, I, I pray that you would give them faith to believe. You give them just that crazy feeling, that crazy thought, that crazy ability to believe like you gave me back in Christmas 87 and then finalize it in June 28th in 1988. 
where I, like, it made no sense, but I just said, God, I'm tired of being the boss. I want you to take over. And I'm just really trusting you with it all. If you fail, everything fails, but I haven't done much better. So, Father, I'm praying that there's somebody that needs that kind of faith today. You may be thinking, I don't know what's next. Well, I'm going to, Father, let them know that as believers, we don't either. We only know what you tell us. But we know that we can trust you. And it's almost more exciting to live life out on the limb where the fruit is. Knowing that you're in charge of it all. Knowing that we don't have to worry about it. But like a little child, we just simply trust you. Knowing that you're not going to leave us hanging. You're not going to let us down. You're never going to forsake us. But you love us and you have plans for us. Both here and in eternity. That are far beyond our comprehension. Better than we could ever even imagine. Help us, Father, that are believers to stay out of the way of the plans you have for us. Help us just to walk and take the next step. Knowing that if we take each step you tell us to take, we will end up where you want us to end up. But Father, I pray there's someone that needs you, that needs Christ for Christmas, that that would be the best gift they get, that they would, through faith, believe you and surrender everything they know about themselves, everything they know about you today. And for those of us that have done that, Father, I pray that we'd open that gift again and our faith would grow. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.